Dunamis on Air. Welcome to Dunamay's On Air, a collection of podcasts from Dunamay's Arts Centre, Port Leash, funded by the Arts Council and Leash County Council. A word in your ear. The following podcast is part of a series of short plays written by Leash writers and performed by actors from local drama groups. The playwrights were mentored by David Butler, one of our Leash writers-in-residence in late 2020 funded by Creative Island Leash. We look forward to welcoming live audiences back to our theatre as soon as circumstances allow, but for now we hope you enjoy listening to these plays. The plays were recorded on the stage of Dunamay's Arts Centre in December 2020. Where the Truth Lies by Francis Harney Crawley and Jamie Sweeney sit at a table in Nancy's bar with empty pint glasses in front of them. They are each starting to drink their second pint. Nancy is cleaning glasses. So, Jamie, she's gone and left you? Oh, she has. For good, is it? Oh, for good, for bad, for better, for worse. Which is it? For all. I'm listening. I'm listening. Oh, listening to the silence. And what does silence sound like? Deafening. The mother at home never shuts up. Nag, nag, nag. And you don't want her to neither. What do you mean? Ah, you can switch off the talk, but you can't switch off the silence. I don't get you. The silent talk, what goes on inside your head, you can't switch it off. Gets to you, doesn't it? Oh, she's got to me all right. She got to me where it hurts. (laughs) In the pocket? Uh, You can get new pockets, but you can't get a new head. (laughs) I may have the cure for the old head talk. No, I've told you before, Timmy. I'm not interested in your potions and your lotions. Keep them for the horsey men, what knows no better. Boys, that's your second pint. And you haven't ordered food yet. Don't come near me with any of the whole shite, you. I'll have to give it to her. She was a great hand at the baking and the making of all manner of dainties. Stuff I never heard tell of, like the, the falfels and the paninis. Master yokes. <laughs> the only pan I want near me is a frying pan with a bit of black few lumps of hairy bacon and a bit of black pudding on it. <laughs> Sorry, Crawley. There's no fries on the menu. 
And what about an egg? Oh, egg is it? Twas the old mother was master at the egging. She egged me on and on till the ring was on the figure. And then, oh, buys the fun and game started in earnest. In the bedroom games, is it? Aye, aye, there too. I'm listening, I'm listening. Well, she locked me out of me own bedroom on the wedding night. She didn't. I blamed the old mother. She moved in lock, stock and barrel before we got back from the afters. And say she, where's he needs time to get used to a man in her life? But the old bitch. The bloody old bitch. And sure, sure maybe there was shooting it. The old bedroom games is a tricky business, I hear. I'll never find out now, Timmy. The old chatter, head chatter went on all night and made me say something this morning. I shouldn't have said. I'm listening. I, I, I'm listening. Says I to her, you sleep in my bed tonight or you sleep in no bed under this roof. She go up and left you for that. A lot of shit. Oh, a lot of bollocks. Oh, she had you all right, Shammy. A lot of bollockses. The old squinty Maguire was one of them. Go for the divorce, Shammy. I say, I say go for the divorce. Oh, squinty Mort. I don't believe it. You told me she was marriage material, Timmy. So she was. Single and no sprogs dragging after her and dragging her down. Well, you should have warned me. Do you remember the day at uh, the fair in Ballinasloe and she riding the big white mare? Well, I tried to tell you that day, Shemmy, and you said she must be a practised rider. Oh, I remember all right. You said she was well practised in the riding, but that was telling me nothing about mountain men. Well, it was warning you like in a matter of speaking, Shemmy. I'm a day the poor soldier, hoodwinked into enlisting, captured, tortured, and now condemned to death. Is it that bad, Shemmy? Oh, she has me in a right hold, and there's no mistaking about it. The devil divorce is the man for you, Shammy. Divorce is it? And have Father McCluskey excommunicate me? Are you gone mad in the head or what? Go for the annulment. The church gives them out proper and legal like. A what? Shammy, when a marriage isn't consuminated, you have grounds for the annulment. And I'll do all the paperwork for you for an awful lot cheaper than the whole Brady the solicitor. But sure it was consumed and ate it. But I told you, you never rid her. I didn't either. And I wouldn't defile her like that, never. But at the wedding breakfast I consumed a feed of beer and ate an anting that was put in front of me. I, I consumed and ate it, all right, and so did she. But you never mounted her. Are you blind deaf or are you blind drunk? How many times do I have to tell you? I never bedded her. And it might have happened in all but that old thundered and bitch of a mother came between us at every turn. Maybe you'll take half of what you got there, Shammy. And you know that now, don't you? I give it all the hardest minute, Timmy. Not bat an eyelid. We were happy in each other's company, so we were. But the old mother, I'm telling you. Lads. It's either food or you'll have to go. You'll get me shut down if you're found in here with pints and nothing else in front of ye. <laughs> well, I'm not paying good money for that shite that'll kill me. Come on, Shammy. We'll go somewhere there's a bit of pace and quiet. But it's the silence what's done me, Timmy. 
The silent chatter in me head has me an orphan this day, so it has. Oh, Jesus, Shamey, will you come on? Shamey Sweeney, depending on counsel from that gobshite Crawley who's created strife in heaven, he would. Well, isn't he the poor, thick simpleton? Now you listen here to me. Stop dithering and get on with it. I've done everything you've told me to. Everything except go to the solicitor. I can't do it to a man. Shamey Sweeney's a decent sort. Shamey Sweeney is a decent sort. Shamey Sweeney's a man. And there's no man wearing shoe leather that's a decent sort. That's not true. He's never once tried to jump on me. And I'm sick and tired of being stuck in at the wall behind you night after night. Better stuck by the wall than being stuck under a man night after night. And what would you know about what goes on in the head of a man anyways? Well, I'll tell you what goes on in the head of every man. Riding and stuffing their gobs and filling their bellies is all that goes on in the head of any man and every man. And let no one tell you differ. Yet a laying under squinty Mert McGuire, <gasps> only I put a stop to it. No, I would not. I never looked sideways at squinty Mert McGuire. Who told you that lie? Never you mind who told me. I bet it was Timmy Crawley. He's round every corner sniffing like an old randy ram with his mealy molly hands and his sleazy eyes. He was the one himself in his band of snow tried it on with me. And he drops the hand on everyone who lets him rub in them loads. That's enough it. now, Maisie. I'm warning you. Tis old Timmy the Dartbird Crawley, wasn't it? Crawley by name and Crawley by nature. Molly Burke told me he gave Big Marty a potion that nearly killed him. Enough, I said. And aren't you the worst Egypt to be listening to a gossip that likes a Molly Burke? I don't want a divorce, ma. Shame he's soft and decent and... I soft just... and decent don't make me laugh. You heard him yourself this morning. I'm telling you, Ma, Shame is not. He's, he's, he's just not like that. Now you sit down there and listen to me, Missy. Shamey Sweeney won't even miss what you'll take. Aye, we'll call it a settlement. You'll have enough to set up a little business for yourself and not be beholden to any man for the food on your table nor the turf in your fire. You'll not... Uh, what food are you having, Mrs McAvoy? Maisie? I'll have a bowl of soup and a few slices of bread. Maisie won't be staying. Do you want anything to drink with that, Mrs McAvoy? There'll be enough eating and drinking in the soup for me. Thanks all the same. Now off with you down to Brady the solicitor and ask nice and civil for an appointment. Tell him it's urgent and he'll be well paid for his trouble. Now don't be there clear back. You're so anxious for me to have a divorce. Why don't you go down and make the appointment yourself? Wouldn't I be the nice spectacle going in to organise a divorce for you? You have a mouth in your head. That's exactly what you're doing. I didn't educate you to be smart to me. Now you get that tight arse of yours down to Brady and make that appointment. I was wondering if you'd like a bit of the white or the brown with the soup there, Mrs McAvoy. Brown? Don't you know I'm into the healthy eating? Ah, uh, Maisie, could you give me a hand to move a table, please? i let you out the back. Uh, no problem, Nancy. Now remember what I said. When it's all signed, sealed and delivered, 
She'll see I was right. Well, well, is she doing it? Of course she's doing it. Why wouldn't she be doing it? I set you up nicely, if I said so myself. I struck all there now with Shamian. There's no mistaking. He's a harmless creature. Oh, well, as harmless as he is, he's well able to issue ultimatums when the humour hits him. <laughs> but he's no match for your sissy now, is he? Well, this morning, uh, you'd need eyes in the back of your head for the pair of them. <laughs> She'll be a fine catch when it's all over. Yes, he'll be a fine catch, all right. But no one will be catching her. I'll make sure of that. I tell you, you won't be around forever now, sissy. Well, won't you be the sorry man when I'm not around anymore, Timmy? I, I'll miss you all right, sissy. There's truth in that. It's time now that we make our little arrangement official. You needn't think you're going to get any more drink in here this day, Crawley. Unless you order food. What say a type of soup is that? It's hot soup, Crawley. <laughs> it looks like warmed up shit. Bring on a ball of it and then and I, if it'll shut you up from your nagging, probably be puking up all night after it. Women are, are, are either nags or whores, or, or maybe both. Any more talk like that out of you and you'll be barred from here, Crawley. <laughs> well, half the country minding their own drink. I think you'll be glad in me, custom, I'm thinking. You just watch your tongue, Crawley. Is all I'm saying. Well, would you go off now and look after your paying customers like a good little girl? You're some scald, Crawley. I'm promised 10% of the settlement in cash. You sign there on the dotted line, sissy, and I'll leave you to it. I won't be signing anything. Timmy. I'm due money out of all of this. You've taken enough of mine. Nothing I haven't earned, Timmy. Nothing I haven't earned. <laughs> you got hazy money out of me for a fair while now, sissy. I curse the day. I first let you put your hand on me with your old lotion. Make no mistake, Timmy Crawley. There's nothing easy about lying under you with your stale porter breath and your dirty sour sweat pushing down on me. May God, may God forgive you, you lying whore. You were up for it every bloody time. I have no trucking with God, Timmy. And don't delude yourself. He has any trucking with you. You'll sign on the dotted line, you old bitch, or you'll be the sorry woman. And how will I be the sorry woman now, Timmy? Maisie may be gone for a divorce, but for my paid advice, shame you'll go for the annulment. Same differ. Wrong, sissy, wrong. Divorce is a declaration, ending in a valid marriage, but an annulment is a declaration that had valid marriage never existed. Marriage never existed, me arse. You were witness to it, same as me. You saw Father McCluskey do the business, same as me. The marriage was never consuminated, sissy. And that's ground for an annulment. And who's to say it wasn't consummated now, Timmy? Shoshemi says it. He's good as told me yourself there a few minutes ago as well. Shamey told me to go ahead and organise the annulment. Granted, I won't get paid as much as I would from a divorce. But he'll get more than you will, sissy. For you'll get nothing and neither will Maisie. What raw Maisie are you blathering about? Maisie'll get her share, one way or the other. Wrong, 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 sissy. There's no division of property in an annulment. 
Jesus, Mary, and Holy Saint Joseph, but you are the devil incarnate, Timmy Crawley. Neither God himself nor the devil either will help you with that conundrum, sissy. So what's it to be? Nothing at all or a handsome payout. <laughs> Here, give us that old bit of paper and let's be done with it. Just as Sissy is about to sign, Nancy enters with a bowl of soup while Maisie and Shamie appear a little dishevelled in the pub doorway. Maisie! Shamie! Thanks for the loan of the van, Nancy. Oh, you're welcome, girl. Uh, this is where you are, sh Timmy. Well, there'll be no need for your annulment at all now. The marriage is consummated. <laughs> she is a shammy. Consummated. Listening to Dunamay's on air, continuing to connect artists with audiences. Decisions by Sheila Coyle. Julia, a woman in her 50s, is in a six-bed hospital ward after surgery. I wake up with a really warm feeling all over. My feet are especially warm and cosy. I feel no pain yet. I know where I am, but there's an almost unreal feeling about me. The room is bright and the large windows let in the last of the winter sunlight on this January afternoon. I count five other women in the ward, who all look older than me, I think. I came in here for surgery with my husband at eight o'clock this morning. A nurse, just going off night duty, saw me outside the nurse's station, waiting to be allocated a bed. This is probably the worst morning of your life. But I can tell you, you'll feel much better by the time we see each you tonight. Someone comes to me, removes the theatre gown and puts on my new pyjamas. I had been advised to wear pyjamas instead of a nightdress. My new pyjamas are pale blue with dark blue and white flowers embroidered on the pocket and down the front. Meals are served to my fellow patients, but I get nothing. I still have that warm feeling in my legs and feet. My family comes in for a short time. I recognise them briefly and disappear into a hazy sleep again. Later in the evening, I wake and need to go to the toilet. I call a nurse. 
I'll bring in a commode to you. Stay there, Julia. I bet you're feeling much better than when I saw you this morning. Oh, yes. I hate giving the nurses the job of emptying what I produce in the commode. Oh, I know they're used to doing those awful jobs, but I insist on walking out, holding on to a nurse. My fellow patients stare. This is their first proper sighting of me. Some smile in my direction. One woman waves. I need to take the drip with me, which is on a stand, and another tube, which is hanging from somewhere in my upper body and has a plastic container attached to it. But when it's time to walk back across the corridor to my bed, I feel weak, so I'm put into a wheelchair. I'm beginning to feel some pain now. I press the little button that gives me relief and transports me into a warm, timeless cloudiness. However, that world is disturbed during the night by the ramblings of an elderly patient. Go down to the end room, Mary, and you'll see a big handbag on the bed. Bring it up to me. I think of the last three days since the consultant told me last Monday the result of the biopsy. On the day of the biopsy, I was sitting on a bed in a single room in the hospital, waiting to go to theatre. A young woman knocked, walked in and came over to me. Can I look at your breast? She said. I'm a student working with your consultant. The evening before, the consultant had looked at wrinkling under this breast. He had examined my breast thoroughly and then told me to get dressed. There's a lump there, Julia, that I would be concerned about, he said. Come into the hospital for 12 tomorrow and I'll do a biopsy. I had my top clothes off under my dressing gown, so I showed the medical student where the lump was. She lifted my right breast and examined it in the interests of her medical education. She asked me then what kind of work I did and we chatted about that for a while and she left. I put on my dressing gown again and returned to my crossword. I tried to think of an eight-letter word meaning positive or certain. Oh, but I found it hard to concentrate. There was another knock at the door. This time a young man came in. He shook my hand as he said, I'm on your consultant's team. I'd like to examine the lump in your breast. So I showed him my right breast. And he also lifted it up to have a good look at the wrinkling where the lump was. That's fine, he said. Thank you. And he was gone. Now... I wondered who else might come in. I almost felt like sticking my head out the door to ask if anyone else wanted to see this unusual right breast of mine. But that was it. So on the day I got the result of the biopsy, the consultant sat in the small front room of a townhouse. My husband was with me. Julia, the news isn't good. 
you have a malignant tumour in your right breast. Now, I can just remove the tumour and some breast tissue around it, or do a full mastectomy. I'll let you decide. I'll bring you in on Friday morning. So, that's the choice I had to make. But I'm glad I had a choice. Some women don't have a choice. I met a woman since who found out afterwards that her full mastectomy wasn't necessary, but it's too late then. I discuss it with the nurse doing the pre-op tests in my local hospital. Do you know the size of the tumour? Having just a lumpectomy will reduce mutilation. Have you thought about breast reconstruction? Breast reconstruction? Mm -hmm. I've never heard of that. If only part of your breast has to be removed, your breast can be reconstructed using flesh from other parts of your body, maybe your stomach or your back. Well, I suddenly have visions of a surgeon working with my flesh, taking off a piece here and a piece there, like a child with plasticine, to form a breast shape. It's all very confusing. But will I look a bit odd with one breast smaller than the other? No, no, no. You will be fitted after a few weeks with a small prosthesis, which will be the same size as the piece they have removed. You just slip it into your bra. What's it made of? Will it be very hard? No, no, no. It's made of silicon gel. It's very soft and feels like a real breast. Would you like to see one? She shows me a breast prosthesis. It's in a box with the words Nearly Me on the front. Nearly Me. Good Lord, I think. Did a woman put that name on this product? I take it out and feel it. Yes, it's soft and a pale beige colour. Now, who ever heard of a beige breast? White and black breasts, yes. But beige? Maybe if you exposed your white breasts to the sun, they might turn into beige breasts. I read the card in the box with the care instructions. It's to be damp wiped with warm, soapy water. It can be damaged by sharp objects. It shouldn't be pinched, as this might cause misshaping. Wearing in a hot tub or spa is not recommended. It even has a limited warranty against manufacturing defects. I go home and I ring the consultant secretary to find out the size of the tumour. She tells me he is very busy, but she'll try to find out. She rings me next day and gives me the details. So I get out a piece of paper, a ruler and a pen and draw it. It doesn't look too big.
So that makes me lean towards a lumpectomy. I then ring an aunt of mine who had breast cancer and had a mastectomy six years ago. She's a pragmatic, no-nonsense woman, a bit like myself. Julia, get it all off, she tells me. If you were a young one, I wouldn't be giving you that advice. But you're in your 50s now, so get it all off. Now, my immediate thought when told I had a choice was to only have the tumour removed. But if I have a mastectomy, I'll eliminate the possibility of further malignant tumours in that breast. But I've always dreaded the idea of a mastectomy. Oh, I've seen pictures in magazines of women with a breast gone, with just a short scar on their chest. I'd really hate the idea of taking off my bra at night to look at myself like that. I had a hysterectomy a few years ago. But this is very different. You can't see your womb or feel it. I was only aware of it as it grew bigger when I was pregnant. I'd had my children, so losing my womb didn't upset me. The great feminist Germaine Greer has criticised the way women's wombs, ovaries and breasts are seen as dispensable. But, she says, the penis is majestic. Just go and suggest you want it cut off, she said once to an audience of men. Say it's bothering you and you'd rather be without it. And see what happens. You'll be talked out of it. So here I am now, and it's over. In the end, I decided to have a lumpectomy. Last night, I had a shower and washed my full right breast for the last time. I had a glass of Jemison and went to bed. I look inside my pyjama top and see some flesh left on my right breast after the lumpectomy. It's hard to know yet how much is gone as the bottom part has dressings on it and it feels too tender to explore further. I wake during the night with the nurses coming and going as I'm a light sleeper. And the old lady talking doesn't help either. Mary, go down to the kitchen and you'll find a few spuds under the sink. Wash them and put them in a saucepan for the dinner. There's a good girl. I listened to her as I pressed the little button again to relieve the pain. I await news of the pathologist's report in a few days. I was told that 10% of women who opt for a lumpectomy have to return to theatre to have the rest of their breast removed. Oh, I really hope this won't be necessary. I'd hate the idea of heading off to theatre again. My daughter has a list done out since I got the bad news of all the women we know who have survived breast cancer. Since last week, 
I've heard names mentioned of innumerable women who are alive and well, having had breast cancer many years ago. My son has a friend whose mother had this done too, and the fact that she's so well now helped him when I told him my news. So, I lie here content to be this far. Thank you for listening to Dunamay's On Air. We look forward to presenting further podcasts over the months ahead, showcasing artists and performers we're sure you'd love to hear from and learn more about. For more, see dunamays.ie or search for Dunamays On Air wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Dunamays On Air is produced and presented by Dunamays Arts Centre, funded by the Arts Council and Leash County Council.